hits the top spot at 59-1-2. Neck and neck. Simpson does not want to give in. There is the chicken flag and it's a win for Zach O'Sullivan. Hey there, welcome back to Passing on Passion, a Kokora podcast. I'm Josh Butcher, Chief Marketing Officer at Kokora Performance, and I'm joined today by one of our most exciting junior drivers, Zach O'Sullivan. Hey, Zach. Yeah, thanks for having me. No worries. You good? Yeah, not too bad. Um, nice media day here at Kokoro. It's good to see everyone for a yeah, while. Yeah, something a bit different, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I've enjoyed all the filming stuff. It's a first for me, so um, yeah, have a good time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, much like what we do at the track with you guys, I feel like doing this stuff away from it is good practice, right? Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, especially before the year, obviously, as the year starts, all the championships, other media days, I think there's a bit of media duty, so it's definitely good to get some practice in. Yeah, nice. When's your British F3 media day? It's coming up, right? It's not confirmed yet. Okay. Um, I think as soon as British GT announces it, I think we'll, we'll tag along yeah, to that. Yeah, a bit so, like the rest of the year, just yes. TBC. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So, obviously, last year, British F4 runner-up, just. Um, that was a really tricky final round, a really tricky way to end the year. Was that the last race you did as well? Was that Brands Hatch race? Yes, the last race, last round. Um, rain, unfortunately, shortened my chances. But um, yeah, one of those things. I mean, it was my first year in single-seaters. I learned a lot, which was the kind of main ambition. Um, and I think as soon as we realised I was fast enough and we could start fighting for the championship, the goals changed slightly. But uh, at the end of the day, I think that's what we came to do, learn, and that's what I did. We'll come back to the F4 stuff, but I think for the purpose of this podcast slash video, we will kind of wind the clock back and talk a bit about your career as a whole um, before we get to the more interesting car stuff. Mm-hmm. So going back to karting, obviously you started in karting. Yeah. Most racing drivers these days <laughs> yes. start in karting. What made you start? How old were you? Um, I was around eight when I got my first yeah. kart. Uh, growing up, my dad always used to watch the F1. Um, so naturally, I kind of absorbed and I used to watch it as well. That was kind of the late Schumacher, early Alonso era. So um, back when he still had V10s. Um, and then, yeah, I didn't really pay any attention. I obviously liked F1. I used to visit some of the Grand Prix just with my mum and dad. Um, and one year, we went to the Autosport show just just to see what it was all about. Um, and I saw some go-karts on sale. And after a year of bribing and, and pleading <laughs> with my dad, um, eventually got me one on my birthday. Uh, and it kind of went from there. I mean, initially, I was just driving around the nearest lane we could find and um, a pretty slow speed. But I kind of started getting the hang of it. Um, yeah. And yeah, it went from kind of strength to strength then, starting with um, national level and then up to international level karting. Cool. What track was it you first drove a go-kart at then outdoors? Ironically, it was actually Brands Hatch. There's a karting, <laughs> there's a karting circuit in the paddock. Um, it's okay. meant to be a kind of replica of Brands Indy. Oh, wait, I know the one that's like a little bean shape. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. but obviously what makes Brands Hatch so unique is all the elevation and there's none on the kart track. As you said, it is a kidney bean, basically. Okay. Um, so yeah, that was a, that was my kind of first experience. I got a bit lost. I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. Um, and then and yeah, then it was kind of Butmore Park and Bayford Meadows really from there. Do you, did you always know you wanted to be a racing driver when you started out? Yeah, I think a lot of people you kind of hear saying, oh, I didn't really know I wanted to be an F1 driver until a certain stage. Um, I'd say I always thought it'd be a, a cool job to have. Uh, I think early on, as you know, I didn't really realize where it could progress to, which is, was karting, and I enjoyed it. But after I think I got to the age of 10, I started realizing actually this is a route and, and something I'd want to pursue. Um, then obviously it becomes a difficult study between, kind of strug- a struggle between studying and, and racing, uh, which yeah. I try to manage best. I think you've got to really separate them. I think you can't have a kind of 50-50 compromise. You've got to be fully focused on your studying away from the track and then fully focused the day before you're racing and, and over that period. So um, 
yeah, I've enjoyed the challenge of that, to be honest. Yeah, that's impressive you were thinking of that when you were 10. <laughs> I don't think I, th I was thinking school or racing. For me, I was just like, nope, just, just racing. <laughs> I think you were casting for about four or five years, right, before yes. you started doing car stuff. Um, obviously, you went from national level to European and world championship stuff. What would you say is your personal highlight from karting? In all honesty, um, the European and world championship stuff didn't really go as well as I hoped it would have done. Um, I struggled a bit. I didn't wasn't as prepared as I really should have been um, and came in. It was a big, big shock. But equally, I'm, I'm happy I've done it. It was such a big learning curve. Um, coming from national level where you could have probably 10 or 15 people who could have been raised, suddenly when you go to Europe, there's 40 that have got the pace to win. Yeah. So it was really difficult. Um, as far as highlights go, I won one race, the German championship um, in European karting. But I think my biggest kind of achievement in karting uh, would be kart masters in 2016, albeit quite a fluky win. Um, yeah. I think I passed five carts of two corners to go. But um, yeah. yeah, I was so happy because up until then, I hadn't really won much in karting. Um, and I was kind of an outsider within the team. And just to get that win, it kind of started a roll of momentum. And I think I won the next two races after then. So um, yeah, that was kind of a big step forward. Yeah, yeah, nice. I mean, everyone knows kart masters, even abroad. That's kind of that one British race that everyone wants to come over and win. Yeah, exactly. The final is just chaotic. And especially at the time, <laughs> there were no bumper penalties in Miami Cadet. So it was, uh, as soon as the state race started, it was kind of a 15-cart train of the wow. leader defending okay. and getting pushed past the corner. So Yeah. What do you make of those bumper penalties they get now? <laughs> I, th I think it is the way forward. I mean, I personally learned a lot, I think, if I did I mean, Cadet with bumpers, I wouldn't have learned as much. I think much. it instills an element of restraint that maybe is useful when you jump into cars. I think so. Yeah. Um, I remember vividly remember going into a lot of the hairpins at PFI with my rear axle off the ground um, <laughs> whilst leading. But it was one of the things you expected. So um, you kind of got toughened up, really, racing the UK. Um, yeah. I think that's helped throughout my career and anyone who did UK racing. Um, I think... In general, I think Brits have quite good race craft. I think it comes initially from the karting, karting side. Yeah. Of it. So speaking of racing in the UK, um, obviously in 2019, you made your car racing debut. That feels like it was only just yesterday that I was coming along to some of the Ginetta rounds. So the Ginetta juniors, um, how did you find the step up to cars? Think back to those first couple of tests. How did you find it? It was a big shock. Um, I decided not to do the extra year in karting and seniors. I thought I'd learned enough in karting. Uh, it's also very expensive. So we thought we'd make the, the jump when I was 14 to cars in Ginetta Junior. Um, quite an unorth unorthodox route, but I think it was the right decision um, looking back on it. Yeah, there was a bit of adapting to do, of course. Um, the Ginetta, I mean, a go-kart is very, very agile, nimble, light. Yeah. The Ginetta's on road ties and, and quite the opposite, pretty heavy and wallowy. So... Um, yeah, there was a lot of adapting to do. I kind of got my testing early. Uh, and yeah, Kieran really at the time was the main one helping me really with Kokoro to really adapt to make the transition across the cars, um, which helped massively. And I think, uh, yeah, Jeanette went pretty well considering. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess just as a bit of extra background, that, that is kind of when you kind of became part of the, the Kokoro family, I guess, is in that year in Ginetta's. Yes. I was Especially kind of, towards the second half of the season, yeah. Yeah, I was doing bits and bobs with Kieran, I think, even my last year in karting, but nothing under the Kokoro name, if you like. And uh, yeah, as you said, towards the end of the year, it was kind of all started, really. Obviously, Janetta Juniors, they follow BTCC around, much like F4 mm -hmm. as well. Um, what would you say out of all those tracks, all the classic UK tracks like Thruxton, Norton Park, Brands, which was your favourite? Back then in Janetta's, anyway. In Janetta's, for me, it was actually Thruxton. Oh, yeah, um, flat out. Well, would, actually, it wouldn't have been flat that's out. That's the thing. Yeah. So... Um, Although they're quite slow cars, they haven't got much grip comparatively because of the road tires um, yeah. and the amount of roll in the body. So it's actually 
probably one of the hardest things still to this day I've ever driven um, around Thruxton because most of the track is kind of 50% lifts and, and the slipstreaming can be worth up to a second and a half to two seconds a you lap. You had that crazy race, right, where you were side by side with someone for a lap or something Yeah, like that. the last kind of, well, really from lap kind of four until <laughs> the end, I was side by side, banging wheels, and that's the nature of, of, of the racing at Thruxton, especially in Ginetta's, um, the side draft element of the car was so big, you used to be able to get as close as possible as people and... I think we had two rounds that year. The first round was very chaotic. I mean, we were racing in big kind of packs of 10 cars. So it's, it's, it's a bit like an oval with NASCAR that goes left and right. Um, and that's something, unfortunately, I'm never really going to get in my career again, um, sticking up into slicks and wings. So um, You never know. NASCAR you never know. might be in your future uh, at some point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> An orthodox route. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed it at the time. Um, and, and yeah, looking back on it, it was really cool. Next year... Um Arguably as big of a step, really, going from Janetta's big, heavy, not so powerful car. Mm. I guess F4 wasn't super powerful, but quite not light and nimble. Yeah. And you went from R Racing to Carlin. It's obviously quite a well-known name. Still with Carlin now, but looks a bit. Apparently. <laughs> obviously, I know that. So. <laughs> um, so, yeah, British F4. I think you did what we all expected you to do from day one, which was win races. But you were actually a convincing title challenger all year. Probably frustratingly close as well, right at the end of it. Yeah. Uh, once again, the, the adaption to F4, I would say, was actually harder than going really? from karting yeah. to Genetta's. Um I think as your kind of first year in, in cars, all you embrace and kind of pick up within your kind of muscle memory of driving a car is being upright, having quite a soft brake pedal, light steering, um, as you do in a Ginetta. It's more similar to a road car. So jumping into an F4 car, single CT, lying down, a stiffer brake pedal, stiffer, heavy steering, it was such an eye-opener. Um, yeah. I remember my first kind of few laps, I was thinking, oh, God, this feels very odd. Um, we did not really enjoy it. You I, just, like, I think, I'm yeah, down. That's, that's one of the things. I think when you jump into new cars, the first couple of laps, at least I, I don't necessarily enjoy them. It's actually, it's all, all new environment. I don't know whether I'm particularly sensitive to positioning or anything, but I find if everything's just slightly differently positioned, it just all feels very weird. So, um, yeah. That was quite a big adaption, and, and even kind of any slicks and wings car, I mean, brake braking is so key, so trying to hit perfect brake shapes, the, the majority of the winter was really focused on that. So Did you say that's like the main thing you learned from that year was... Definitely. Driving uh, technique-wise. Yeah, yeah, technique is, is much more important. Um, in a Ginetta, you can kind of get around it. The cars move you around, the tyres move you around, whereas a slicks and wings car, it's a, it's a flat kind of platform to work with, so your inputs actually do have more of an effect, pronounced yeah. effect on the car. So, in all honesty, it took a while for me for, to adapt, probably longer than it should have done. Um, but, yeah, throughout the winter testing, that was really a key to adapt to that. Um, and come the first kind of round, I think we were there or thereabouts. Yeah. Just thinking back on that whole season then, what do you think was your favourite moment from 2020 and racing in F4? Um, I'd say the second race at Snetterton. Yeah. Um, I think the most kind of satisfying wins are unexpected wins, where you suddenly end up in the lead and you don't really know how you've got there or, or why you're <laughs> yeah. there. Um, and yeah, I, I, I had a, an interesting first race and uh, unfortunately got demoted to second after post-race penalty. Um, so I kind of needed to prove a point in a way in the second race um, and started from fifth. And yeah, I got a very good start and was up to third immediately. Um, and what was quite interesting about the race is that uh, we decided before the race we weren't actually going to use our new tyres. And a lot of people around us did, um, trying to capitalise on their reverse grid pole position. Got you, yeah. Um, but we did, I think, run quite high tyre pressures. So in the first opening laps, we were so fast. Um, I managed to get through to the lead pretty easily. And then with about 10 minutes of a 20-minute race to go, um, 
the rear tires started graining quite heavily. So from then on, it was kind of stop attacking and, and really start defending as wide as, possible. as wide as possible. So I spent the next um, 10 laps as Netterton is it's pretty easy track to overtake. So there's a lot yeah. of places I had to defend, defending as hard as I could um, from I think it was three cars behind. And yeah, I was so happy to get the win in the end. Um, I was having to drop a gear lower everywhere than I normally would. Yeah. Uh, and then also got me, put me in very good stead for the next race of the, the following morning when we had the fresh tires. So that just about covers everything up until about six months ago. Uh, obviously, COVID had a big impact on last year. Um, how did you, I don't want to use the word cope because that feels like it was almost, it was obviously a struggle for everyone involved. Yeah. But how did you get through that? How did you make sure you prepared for the F4 season when it came around? So in some ways for me, uh, ironically, it was a bit of a blessing. Of course, the situation glo globally was, wasn't good at all. But um, I think within the racing community, although we went on track, um, we've got the wonderful tool of simulators that not many other sports have really. Um, I mean, even within motorsports, MotoGP, they, they can't really simulate anything. So the good thing of car racing is that everything kind of switched to virtual world. And um, obviously Kokoro had an invitational series, which I enjoyed highly. And even my even British F4 at the time had, a, had an online series. So it all kind of switched across. So the kind of kind of starvation for racing never really, <laughs> it never really went. Um, and in general, it kind of gave me a bit more time to prepare. Uh, yeah. I think being a first year in a new category, the more time, the better. So having that delayed start, we kind of stay in contact with the team. And Yeah, I guess, would you say that, obviously, I would say a lot of drivers spending, say, three, four, five, six months out of driving a car, it would feel strange and you might have a bit of a hurdle to overcome when mm. you first jump back in. But do you think because you were new to British F4, you didn't necessarily have that disadvantage, you just kind of got in and got on with it? I think, yeah, initially the first back at te test back, I think it was at Snetterton. Yeah. Um, there are a few issues to iron out. Um, quite funnily, actually, habits I picked up from iRacing. Um, oh, yeah. Trying to be quick in iRacing isn't always... Pressing the brake pedal too hard. Uh, all sorts of stuff, okay. like tyre warm-up stuff. And, uh, yeah, because you broke your brake pedal. Right? I broke my brake pedal, yes. Um, so, yeah, it was a bit of an adjusting to get used yeah. to different brake shapes, etc. So once that was sorted, I worked hard with my engineer, um, Anthony, and, and we got that sorted before the first round. So I think it actually did help in, in general. Um, but in the same sense, other people had more time to prepare. So it would have been interesting, I think, if we could have even only just done the first round and then gone into lockdown and kind of left, a, left the championship kind of set and, and frozen before we went to round two. But uh, Yeah, yeah. It would interest to see how differently it would have played out mm. if people have had a chance to get probably a more crazy racing with nothing to lose and yeah. then time to sit on it. 2021, how have you been preparing? Just same as usual, a lot of testing, even with current restrictions still kind of dragging on. Uh, yeah, so uh, obviously due to last year's pandemic, the British F4 season, had, as most championships did, finished pretty late. I think it was the end of November, yeah. uh, which for motorsport was pretty late. Um, and then, yeah, I pretty much already, already then decided that British F3 was uh, the right step up. So... It was trying to get testing. Uh, I think I only did about four days before before the end of 2020, uh, which is usually less than you end up doing on, on yeah. a normal year. So it was Snetterton you first you first Snetterton, drove to yes, car, yeah. uh, and then a couple of days at Alton Park. So yeah, usually you get a bit a bit more time to adapt. So that was tricky. It all got kind of cramped into a smaller schedule. So by the time I knew it was Christmas, uh, and then the kind of obligatory off period that everyone has um, until. Kind of the, the end of February, really. Um, and, and this year is even more delayed. I think some of the tracks are slightly out of schedule with kind of resurfacing over the winter. So 
in general, kind of the winter period, it was all about kind of staying on the sim, trying to stay sharp as best as you can. Of course, being in a car is the best way to prepare and, yeah. uh, and stay fit. Obviously, training is important. But um, yeah, in general, I think this year has been kind of pushed back slightly, even with testing. Uh, a lot of the yeah. championships announced they delayed their seasons by about a month in January. So the urgency to get out in kind of early February was, wasn't so key. So BRDC F3 with Carlin, championship winning team. Champions last year. Mm -hmm. Were they champions the year before? Maybe? Uh, yes, they were. In yeah, Blue Cars yes. been a lot in whether it's F3, F4, F2. Yeah. So your target this year, it's got to be the championship, right? Uh, I've got, I haven't set myself any goals yet. I okay. think from what I've studied of, of British F3, um, whether it's something to do with the car or the way the championships run, every, it's so, so close. Um, yeah. Looking at the qualifying results especially, I mean, you've got the top 10 covered in one race by about three tenths last year. So that's going to be pretty key to, to nail qualifying. Um, of course, I'm on the same kind of quite narrow British tracks with a lot more error. I mean, the car's uh, just above 10 seconds faster um, and a lot of it is corner speed. So overtaking, if it was difficult in F4, it's about 10 times more difficult in F3. Right, yeah. So, so maybe not quite as many wins as last year, but still. We're going to wait and see. Yeah, okay. um, so, yeah, I think qualifying is going to be very important uh, and something I need to, to nail um, in order to succeed this year. And uh, Yeah, just due to the, how difficult it is to, to overtake. Um, and also in British F3, we've got full reverse grid races. So oh, yeah, if you win race one, you could start potentially around 20th for race two. So um, that'll be an entertaining prospect. I was um, going to say, you're looking forward to that? I think so. Hopefully I'll be starting at the back for race two, yeah. provided race one's gone quite well. Uh, I think it's a bit more sort of, of a kind of survival game um, because at the end of the day, there's not so much. I mean, if you can score points, I think the points go down to 15th in British F3, that, that's a positive. Um, but yeah, as long as you, you keep four wheels in your car and you finish the racing, that's the key, really. All right, so we've pretty much covered your career so far. Karting, Ginettas, F4, and now F3. So... Mm -hmm. Getting there, obviously, I presume F1's going to be the goal at the end, right? Yes, I think, as probably most people you've ever spoken to or heard about, yeah. everyone at F1 is the goal. Um, whether it's achievable or, or possible in the future, it's yet to find out. Um, I think, at the end of the day, motorsport is a money-driven business, so for the majority of drivers, their budget is a limiting factor. Yeah. Um, so you'll, you'll see a lot of drivers kind of make a sideways switch into prototypes, try and do Le Mans or, or even back in kind of endurance GT3 racing. So for me, of course, F1 is the goal. But any form of motorsport I'm getting paid for would be great, really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, nice, I'm doing what I love and, getting, and making yeah. a reasonable living out of it. Uh, I think that's important. I think you can be so focused in F1 that actually there could be a stage where you're really, really struggling for money, where it's probably better to commit to, a, yeah, to something yeah. else. I'm glad you mentioned budget, actually, because I think it's worth mentioning you've had pretty much the same set of sponsors all the way through from Genetas to... Mm -hmm. And F3 as well now, right? Yeah, F3 yeah. as well, yeah. So Marsh, uh, an insurance company, uh, of course, thankful to have them on board. Winkworth, an estate yeah. agent. Um, it's very hard to find very big investors at this level. Um, yeah. I think also what we found is that a lot of companies don't really want to be involved in motorsport. I think... It, as it starts to switch to more electric, it will be more mar marketable. Um, yeah. Due to obviously the, the current global warming issues, I think some companies are slightly sceptical. So I think it's a tricky one with sponsors. I think once you do find a company who's willing to invest and are really interested in motorsport, it will go well. Um, it's just about finding that really uh, as quickly as possible. Yeah, it's great that you've managed to build those relationships over a long mm. period of time, and it's not just been someone who's chucked a bit of cash in your pocket for one season. Exactly, and then yes. Let's say we turn the clocks back, knowing what you know now. Um, 
going back to 2018, when you're just about to make the step into Janetta's from karting, what advice would you instill in that Zach? That Zach. Um, well, firstly, I think I should have got into sim racing slightly earlier. Um, okay, interesting. I think that I got in kind of the early start of my Janetta year. Yeah. But it definitely helped, I think. Uh, sometimes the models aren't completely accurate, but that's what the team simulators are for and, and proper professional simulators. Um, I think home sims really provide keeping you sharp in the winter with racing um, and mainly racecraft. I remember when I first started Ginettas, obviously going from karting to cars is a big step racecraft-wise. Um, you can't be as committed, you can't d dive around as much because it's, it's a lot of mass to move around with you. Yeah. So I did a lot of stuff with Kira and really preparing just before the start of the Ginetta year and it definitely helped a lot um, yeah. to know all the places, what you can and can't do and especially uh, Ginetta racing is pretty robust. So um, yeah, I think, yeah, get into sim racing a bit earlier. Anyone who's watching, if you haven't got a sim, buy one. If you know someone, you can borrow one off, get one. Get into via racing. So outside of racing then, would you say that motorsport has contributed anything towards you as a person um, in yourself rather than you know just your driving skills? I think from a young age, even when you start at eight years old, uh, you're always communicating with adults, whether it be mechanics or even the dads of other drivers. So you definitely mature pretty quickly. Um, yeah. I think I was exposed to everything quite young, which is a good thing. Um, and uh, yeah, not even that. I think it's just it's a, it, it gives you a lot of discipline. I think if you need to succeed in motorsport, you have to be very disciplined on and off the track. Uh, I think especially off the track, not like not even with your training, but even notes, just really, really focusing hard and, and attention to detail. So um, yeah, that definitely taught me a lot um, of how to kind of work with people as well. Because sometimes you are put with people you don't necessarily like or get on with initially, but you have to adapt and you have to work with them because there's no you can't have it your own way always. So couple of years in karting I wasn't really the mechanic I wanted or the engineer and I just had to work around them and really work to suit them rather than my needs yeah. um, which is key because some people are set in their ways and, and don't want to change you have to work with them rather than against them so um, I think that's definitely helped um, and also as well I mean I've, I've committed to homeschooling uh, from when I was about 13 which yeah I've I've enjoyed more uh, I can actually focus more on on, on the actual educational side. I'll be the first one to admit I did mess around a lot at school and yeah. I, I got easily distracted. I think the teachers weren't too pleased because I'd be away racing. And yeah. although whilst I was at school, I wasn't any worse than any of my other friends, it's because I was away all the time. I had a, a lot smaller tolerance than anyone else yeah. uh, with the teachers, which to, to be expected, I didn't realize at the time, but um, I thought they were just being cr cruelly unfair. So I do prefer the homeschooling thing. And I yeah. think the flexibility in the timetables, so if I'm doing testing or anything, I can add hours in and make sure I catch up on all the school or even I do school on the weekends and really, really focus on, yeah. on what I need to do. Or get stuck in stuff like this. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's all part of a bigger plan, isn't it? Yes. Cool. Okay. So I think, Zach, that's pretty much it. Thanks for tuning in. You can find Zach at Zach O'Sullivan across social and us at Kakor Performance and also Kakor Media, which is all of this, the media arm of the business. Thanks for tuning in, um, and you can catch other episodes of the Passing on Passion podcast um, across YouTube and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Cheers.